the choices you make and specifically the way you choose to see God matters. How you choose to interpret the circumstances of your life matters because what you choose to believe about Him is who you'll show others that He is. Will you choose to see Him through the eyes of fear and doubt or through the understanding of a God who not only loves us, but is love? Join me today as we learn to see Him rightly, as we learn to choose love. ever find yourself so stuck in just survival mode or the busyness of life around you, or even in recent times, just the confusion of everything that's going on around us. And it makes it all so difficult to actually care, to care about the people around you, to care about the things you know you're supposed to care about. And I was, I was thinking about that and just felt like the Lord wanted me to um, really go after this place in our hearts together today on Choose Love. So we're going to start with Matthew 25. This is a scripture that I have been fascinated by for years. And so forgive me if you're somebody who has known me for years, then you know I always end up talking eventually about Matthew 25. You'll recognize it in a moment when I read it. But then I want to go to a place where I um, encourage you, challenge you with four ways to help your heart truly care and care about the things and the people that we are called and privileged, invited to care about. So let's start with Matthew 25, and I am reading from the Passion Translation. I love this translation. Um, sometimes you just need like a fresh take on familiar scripture, especially if you've been reading scripture for many, many years. And I like um, Brian Simmons, who we know, and his... Um, way of translating is so passionate, but it still stays true to the original text um, as much as any translation can. And we're going to start at verse 31 and go to verse 45. And I'm going to read straight through and then make some comments. So this uh, section in this translation is called the judgment of the multitudes. When the Son of Man appears in his majestic glory with all his angels by his side, he will take his seat on his throne of splendor, and all the nations will be gathered together before him. And like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. Then the king will turn to those on his right and say, you have a special place in my father's heart. Come and experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. And when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. When I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Then the godly will answer him, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry or thirsty and give you food and something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and invite you in? When did we see you poorly clothed and cover you? When did we see you sick and tenderly care for you or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, don't you know, when you cared, when you cared for one of the least of these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you demonstrated love for me. Then to those on his left, the king will say, leave me, for you are under the curse of eternal fire that has been destined for the devil and all his demons. For when you saw me hungry and you gave me no food, when you saw me thirsty, you gave me no drink. I had no place to stay and you refused to take me in as your guest. When you saw me poorly clothed, you closed your hearts and you didn't clothe me. When you saw that I was sick, you didn't lift a finger to help me. And when I was imprisoned, you never came to visit me. And then those on his left will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and not give you food and something to drink? When did we see you homeless or poorly clothed? When did we see you sick and not help you or in prison and not visit you? Then he will answer them, don't you know, when you refused to help one of the least important among these, my little ones, my true brothers and sisters, you refuse to help and honor me. And they will depart from his presence into eternal punishment, but the godly and beloved sheep will enter into eternal bliss. Wow. So this is a, a heavy scripture. Now, here's why I am so fascinated by this. The quandary is the rest of scripture makes it very clear that this has nothing to do with us doing enough good works to make it into heaven. That's It's not a performance kind of scripture. So if it's not that, then what is it? What is it communicating to us? Now, if you've heard me talk about this before, I am going to give you some new perspectives. So hang with me. Don't tune me out. Um, so what is it talking about? I believe um, that it is talking about the most important thing of all, which is the knowledge of God. Habakkuk 2.14, we know that in the end where everything is headed, we don't know when the end is, but we know that in the end where everything is headed is towards the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth. And we know that Moses asked to see God's glory, right? God hid him um, in the crack of the rock and said, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass before you. So we know that an aspect of his glory is actually how good he is. So when we talk about the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, we're talking about people having access to the goodness of God. People having the option to see the real him, not whose circumstances, lies about God that have been perpetuated through broken systems and broken people have convinced them that he is or he isn't. So I, I'm drawn to this particular scripture, Matthew 25, because I just have this longing to see not when is the end of days? You know, there's a lot of fascination about that. People want to know 
you know, especially the rapture. When is this happening or not happening? There's always so so much, uh, so many kinds of speculation about that. And um, for me, I am fascinated by end time scenarios because I think it's important to know a little bit at least of what where we're supposed to be headed so that we can work our way towards the goal of the end times. So if the goal and the, the reality is that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, then why would I not make that my personal pursuit? Similarly, the truths that are, um, that are revealed here in Matthew 25, they are talking about um, what this is going to be like in the end, where this is all headed. And we know it's not headed towards performance, a checklist of did you do these things? And if you did a good job, then you get an A plus and you get to make it into heaven. We know it's not that. So what is it? Well, we have um, a clue, a big clue here when God says, because it's the king that people are called before, and the king says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So who does he describe as the least of these? People who are sick, people who are in prison, people who don't have the basic needs of life met, like clothing, clean water, food, um, a home to live in. And so what do all these people have in common? What is it that makes them the least of these? Because we could just add to this list, right? What do they all have in common? And I believe they basically have the same thing in common, that they are tempted to believe that they don't matter, that they have no value. For example, um, I remember years ago, and you might have heard me tell this story before, but um, we were visiting Alcatraz, the, the prison that's on the island right off the coast of San Francisco, California. And they allowed us to go into these prison cells and kind of experience what it would be like to be there. And I remember um, it was around the time that I noticed this scripture in, in the light of, um, you know, what's it going to be like in the end? Because here Johnny is talking about, you know, the seven mountains and how God's going to showcase himself in all of these areas of culture. And it got me really curious about, okay, well, why does it even matter that we change and, and bring healing and wholeness to these areas of culture? What's the point? Isn't it just about souls and about people? Why would it be about culture? And so I was, I was questioning the Lord about these things, and I was reading this scripture in the light of that, and standing in this prison cell in um, Alcatraz, and all of a sudden I just felt the weight of what it would be like to be in this island prison cell. You know, it's it's even worse than in a normal prison cell in that they are so far removed from people, and especially during that time when they didn't have like the kind of motorboats that we have now and stuff that can quickly, you know, get people to and from an island. They literally, they would go years and never have a visitor because it was so difficult for someone to make the trip to come and see them. 
And it just happens to be that these were the worst of the worst prisoners. And so they probably didn't have people that wanted to visit them. And just the reality of that set in when I was standing in that cell and I was like, wow, you would feel like, do I, like, what's the point of my life? Why am I still here if, if, I, if I don't matter to anyone? And literally I can go years without anyone caring how I'm doing. And I think that it's a similar feeling when you don't have the basic needs of life met. You know, you don't have clean water, you don't have food or clothing, whatever those basic things are. Because all of those things translate into one deeper question in someone's heart, which is, if if I'm so irrelevant and so unimportant that, that God himself cannot make sure that I know I have value and purpose for being here. If God himself cannot provide um, even just clean water for me, if, if I'm so sick that no one even checks on me or cares about how I'm doing, then ultimately my bigger question is, why doesn't God seem to care about me? Our hearts are all wired the same way, right? We all question him through our circumstances. And so here God is listing off the least of these, the ones that all have that same ache, that same core question in their heart. And he is equating himself with those who ask that core question. That's amazing. I mean, the humility of a God who does not owe us anything. He doesn't have to prove himself, but he comes so low to our most weakest moment of asking, where are you? And if I matter to you, if you created me, then the only one who could do something about my situation and you aren't. And this is who God says is the least of these. I think we can all relate. I do believe that, um, I'm, I'm not so trying to make this like what it represents, that it's not also the obvious. I, I do believe that, that it is important that we answer that question for people that are literally in these circumstances, but it doesn't stop there is the point. And so we've got that going on with this scripture. Here we are, we're, we're, we're being, we're, we're being given kind of like the um, you know, when you take an exam and the teacher prepares you before the exam and says, you know, here's what's going to be on the test. Know these things so that when you get here to take the test, it doesn't surprise you. And I, I believe that that's what's happening here. The Lord gave us this huge hint, this, this whole, um, this whole story, uh, scenario is really not a story. It is, it is. A reality, this whole reality that Jesus is describing here. He is giving us insight into the end days so that we can wake up to the reality that we are called to care about those that he cares about, what he cares about. We are being invited and, you know, more than invited to actually deeply care. The thing is, you can't fake this. Now, 
One other interesting thing about this passage is that there is an element of mystery and surprise here in that he delineates there are going to be those who become labeled as sheep, right? Those who enter into um, to heaven and God's presence for all of eternity who didn't even know that when they were caring and caring about the least of these, that it was actually him. So the deciding factor wasn't knowing that it was him who cared about those things. My point with that is I believe that he's describing here the kingdom. So you've got the king sitting on his throne and he is dividing the sheep nations from the goat nations, people, groups, and he's dividing them according to caring about what he cares about. I mean, it's just, that just fascinates me. He's not dividing them according to knowing the king. In other words, I believe that when you begin to care like he cares, you're actually advancing the kingdom because you're advancing the king's way of doing something. And the king's way of doing something is never a checklist. It's not a list of rules or a list of things to do. It's an overflow of who the King Jesus is. It's, it's him doing things the better way because that's who he is. And so when we begin to do things the better way, to care about what and who he cares about, we've actually tapped into the kingdom. And guess what? There are going to be those who tap into the kingdom, who care about what he cares about before they even know that it's him, the king. And, um, you know, I'm going to get into some more of what that means here in a moment, but let me just look at my notes and make sure I'm on, on track here. So some won't know the king until they know the kingdom. So why is it important for us to make sure that we are um, caring about what he cares about? Why is it important that we care for the least of these? I think there will be those who do that out of obligation, not out of true care and concern. So I, I believe he's also speaking into motives here. So this uh, episode today is called When You Cared. And again, I, I mentioned that I was going to go into four specific ways to help your heart learn how to care and continue to care. If you've lost that loving feeling, so to speak. Um, all right. Number one is to connect your story, your reality to the bigger story, the bigger reality. This is a way to continue to care about what we're supposed to care about and who we're supposed to care about. When our story and our reality is disconnected from the bigger picture, it 
quickly becomes about us and we're there's a lot to us right we're complicated we have a lot of things that we could literally spend the rest of our lives focused on related to ourselves whether we're talking about healing our heart issues or just taking care of life regular life things or um, dealing with different you know um, difficulties challenges in our life we personally each one of us are all consuming and so if we don't co connect our story our individual story and our individual reality to the greater story and the greater reality we lose our ability to truly care about others um from another angle i will say it this way too i um and some of you may have already heard me mention this, but I recently went to um, somewhere where I got a heart sink and it's kind of like a sozo. It's a, it's a prayer ministry time, very personal um, in an intimate setting with just one other person. And this amazing woman um, was, you know, prayed over me and walked me through uh, a healing prayer time where she gave room for the Holy Spirit to just um, go after whatever he wanted to go after in my own heart. And so as I sat with her and with the Lord, I realized that this place in my heart that he had his finger on had to do with me feeling um, kind of disconnected, like from reality. I know that sounds weird, crazy. I don't know if you ever get that feeling, but it's almost like everything just feels very surreal. And especially with what we've been going through um, as a nation and in the world the last couple of years, starting with the whole COVID thing, it just almost felt like an out-of-body experience. Like, is this real? Is this like, I, I never, it, it felt like a huge detour from everything I'd just been tracking with the Lord on. It was so unexpected. Where we are right now was so unexpected. I just... I didn't know quite where to put it or where to put my heart related to it. And so um, there also was is a, a personal issue going on in our lives that is very private that um, we don't speak about, that I won't speak about because it involves other others. And I don't want those others to be, um, you know, put in a position that, it is just, anyway, without going into it, those of you that know me well, you already know what it is. You know our family well, you know what it is. Um, but because of that, on top of everything else, just that feeling of this is surreal. Is this really happening? And in this prayer time, the Lord had us go back to where that feeling first came in. You know, what... what when I feeling it now, it triggered me back to something previous. So what was, what was it that it triggered me back to? It triggered me back to, um, the day that I was told, um, by my uncle, we were out of town. I was out of town with my cousins on a trip and he had the difficult task of telling me that my mother had, had died of cancer. And, even though she'd been sick for years, it was such a shock. And I remember getting into their car to drive back to the um, to Atlanta where we lived, and it was hours in the car. 
And I remember as a 12 year old, just looking out the window of the car and just feeling that surreal feeling like this is so unexpected. How is the sun still shining? How is life still like continuing on as if everything's okay? Cause I'm not okay. And, um, Anyway, through this, this prayer time, this heart sink, the Lord helped me disconnect that and showed me how, even though it triggered me back to that feeling, that what was true and what is true about right now, in case some of you can relate to that, what is true is that this was not a surprise to God. This was planned for, and he intentionally had grace available to us, had grace available to my 12-year-old self that I needed in that moment. And the truth is, everything that we've each been through in our lives up until this time in history is not disconnected from. It is, it is a part of your individual story, all that you've been through in your life that brought you to this time that we're living in right now is connected to what's going on in the world. Even though a lot of the things that we're discovering and finding out and living through are a shock to us, it doesn't matter because it it was planned for. God made sure that we were ready. Even though we didn't feel ready, God made sure that we were ready. And God continues to offer a a, a grace that is needed for what we're actually going through right now. So when we talk about connecting our story, our reality to the bigger reality, it keeps our heart engaged so that things don't feel surreal and disconnected. So it's really important that you, that you understand what's happening in the world right now in terms of what is being revealed so that it can be healed you are a part of bringing light to darkness and you are a part of bringing healing because light brings healing to um, whatever it shines on. It brings life. And we were born for such a time as this. In fact, what we're going through right now should help make sense of all the difficult things that you've been through in your own personal life up until this time they have served to help prepare you for this bigger reality. And that will continue. Um, so, you know, I just have some loose ends that I'm going to see if I'm such an external processor. But I have some loose ends that as I process here, I, I want to see if I can make them connect because in my own head and heart, they do connect. Um, you know, I just... In seeing all this evil that's being exposed, it is it, it has helped make some sense of some things, but it's also felt like, how is this evil so evil? Like, how is it so bad? And there's a part of it that's, you know, depending on when you're watching this, there's there's a level of it that we suspect, but it hasn't fully been revealed yet. We've talked about it. There's speculation. There's rumor. 
There are strong reasons why we should lean to believe certain things about certain people and certain situations that we took at face value, but were actually so much different and sinister than, than they appeared to be. Um, whether you're talking about events in history or um, things that have even happened in our own lifetime. And, and then just people that we've looked up to and admired and you hear these things like they're really like this and they've partnered with evil in this way. Like it's just mind blowing. Um, but the Lord spoke to me and said, it, it's actually an ancient evil. And I'm like, is that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> it's an ancient evil. And, and in a way it, it did make me feel better because I'm like, okay, this is an ancient evil. This is nothing new. This is nothing new to God. This isn't like, oh no, here's another wave of even more, you know, worser stories. Worser is not really a word, but here, it's my word. Worser ways that evil has, has played out in history. You know, it's, it's just getting worse and worse. There's an aspect of it that there is nothing new under the sun. You know, the enemy... He just shows up in the same way with different people in different generations, but it's, he has no creativity. It's still stealing, killing, destroying, you know, it's him, it's his MO. But the Lord did encourage me in that he followed it up. He said, yes, there is an ancient evil. He said, but I am the ancient of days. I am the ancient of days. And it just, it, it, put that plumb line back in my spirit again. Okay, he is the ancient of days. There is no evil that he's never seen or dealt with before. There's nothing that surprises him. Um, and it took me to scripture. There, you know, that description, that name of God as ancient of days is only used in the book of um, Daniel. And Daniel chapter seven, verses 21 and 22 I'm not going to go into the whole long prophetic dream that Daniel had, but he um, had this dream and then he got the interpretation for it. But in this verse, he says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to occupy or possess the kingdom. That is so encouraging. So they, the, the enemy, in other words, was, was making war against the saints. He was prevailing until the Ancient of Days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came. So there is a fullness of time. And we can be patient. We can endure. And we can learn what we are given opportunity to learn until the fullness of time. But the time came for the saints to possess or occupy the kingdom. That word kingdom means kingly authority, a realm of territory. So there is a realm of territory that is being handed over to the sons and daughters of God. And I believe it is these areas of culture. It's, it's where um, Jesus gained all authority in heaven and earth. 
and gave it to us. So there's an aspect of this that is already accomplished. And it's the same thing with the way Jesus described his kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is coming. And he said, and pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And so it's an unfolding. There is an unfolding of us learning how to occupy in our kingly, our royal authority, the realm, the territory that we're called to occupy. And it's never about, um, you know, dominating over people. This is about having the opportunity to showcase who and how God is in these areas of culture so that people might have the opportunity to know the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's about the knowledge of God covering the earth. All right, so there is the ancient of days for this ancient evil, so be encouraged. Another kind of loose end I wanted to mention, this is all in the context of um, kind of connecting our story to the bigger story. So the bigger story is there is an ancient evil, but there is an ancient of days, and he has assured us that we will possess the kingdom. And there is a show that Johnny and I have been watching on, um, I don't know what all, what all it's on. I know we found it on HBO Max. Um, it's called John Adams, and it is a, a series. I think it's like maybe six or eight um, episodes but John Adams as in the second president of the United States. It is fascinating. You know, even if you don't usually watch like historical movies or shows, I think you'll like this one because of all that's going on right now. It takes you all the way back to um, when John Adams was leading the uh, American Revolution and they were trying to get free from the monarchy. They were trying to get out from underneath the um, tyranny of the King of England, of, of Britain, lording over them and having so much control from so far away over this brand new, um, you know, at the time it wasn't even a nation. So they became a nation by declaring independence, obviously, in 1776. So this series um, through his life story reminds us of, of just the nitty gritty of what they went through. And um, I'm bringing this up because at the time of filming this, just today, I was watching some of the, um, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, um, uh, her funeral and just all the pomp and circumstance that goes around it. And, um, the formalities of it. It's, it's really interesting. It's been interesting to watch regardless of what you think or believe about her and about the Royal family and different members of it. Um, it was interesting to, to see. My point with that is this, this ancient evil, you just see it. It's like this, this thread that's like tapestry throughout history and the struggle that we have had to walk in freedom. Why is freedom such a, a disputed commodity here on the earth? Why all of the effort to control, to gain power over other people? You know, of course, in our flesh, we have a tendency towards that, but there's, an, there's a point where it goes to a whole nother level of, of like, 
um, evil. I don't know how to say it other than that. Like it's like it's inspired from something other than just, you know, messed up, hurt people. And I believe it's because the enemy, Satan himself, obviously doesn't want the knowledge of God in the earth. He doesn't want people to have the freedom to choose or not choose God because he knows that freedom is the only reality in which true relationship, not religion, but relationship with God can happen. Um, of course, freedom can happen within you, whether you're in a prison cell or running wild and free, right? It's, it is, it's a state of being within you. But when there is tyranny and oppression in such a way that causes people to um, feel like they have no choice, it's much harder for them to choose whether to have a relationship with God or not. Part of that reason is because if you live in, in difficult enough circumstances, we can all relate to this, if you live in difficult enough circumstances, it's hard to believe that there even is a God. And if there is, then why doesn't he care? It's back to that original core question that we talked about in Matthew 25. Anyway, so as I'm processing this whole idea of the queen's death and remembering back about the strange circumstances around Princess Diana's death, and then you've got... Um, Prince Andrew and his shenanigans with Jeffrey Epstein, um, allegedly. And, um, you know, I just see this in this series that we're watching with John Adams. You see this, um, this battle that is from the very beginning over our nation related to slavery, the monarchy, royalty, in it you see when when they're trying to decide like, okay, who's going to lead the country? What will we call them? And there was argument over, is it your highness the president or is it just the president? And, and are they special? Do they live someplace like a palace or just ordinary? Like, and you can see them wrestling through this idea of should they be given any kind of special treatment? You know, where's the balance in it? Um, and, you know, in there you, you hear them argue back and forth over the idea of political parties. And, and then uh, there were political parties. So then were, did they have an agenda that was hidden or more obvious? Were they fighting more towards... Um, you know, representing the people or representing their party? And were they, were, was their agenda more focused on being true to the people of the nation or being true to what would get them reelected? I mean, you see how that just crept in from the very beginning. And then um, the federal issues versus the state issues. And the whole banking system and going into debt and specifically going into debt to other nations and how they would use war to become more indebted or to cause other nations to owe each other. And it got complicated real fast before we even became a nation. And those early years, you just see it's all connected to what's unfolding now and what I believe is going to be unfolding in the months to come 
here in this nation. And so we are connected to the bigger story. You cannot live in a bubble right now. It's not an option. Your story, whether you want it to or not, is connected all the way back to literally our forefathers of this nation and what they were wrestling with, what they were trying to figure out, we are still wrestling with. Will we be a generation who says, come ancient of days and deal with this ancient evil that is in our midst? So make sure that your heart stays connected to the bigger story. It's not an inconvenience. What's happening in the world today is not a distraction from something else you could be doing that would be better. I hope that helps awaken in you, um, if it's become dormant, a desire to care and to care deeply about those around you. All right, I'll go through the next ones a little faster. Um, number two, a way to help your heart care and continue to care. Maintain a sense of context. All right. You know, when you hear somebody say something that's out of context, like maybe you walk in in the middle of a conversation someone else is having and you hear them say something, but you didn't hear what they said before that. And so you don't have context for what they're saying, which makes what they said, even though you heard it clearly, it's not understandable. You, you do not understand what they're saying because it's taken out of context. Well, I believe that right now, Psalm 110 gives us context for life. So I would like to read to you Psalm 110. And this will help our hearts um, have better understanding of what's going on around us and in our personal lives and how it connects to the bigger picture um, by, by Psalm 110. Here we go. Yahweh said to my Lord, the Messiah. So we've got God, the father talking to Jesus, the son, and David evidently is prophetically listening in. And that's what he writes here in the Psalms. Yahweh said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit with me as enthroned ruler while I subdue your every enemy. They will bow low before you as I make them a footstool for your feet. Messiah, I know God himself will establish your kingdom. Now this is David talking. As you reign in Zion glory, for he says to you, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will be your love offerings. In the day of your mighty power, you will be exalted. And in the brightness of your holy ones, Jesus, you will shine. I added in the word Jesus so we remember who he's talking about. Um, in the brightness of your holy ones, you will shine as an army arising from the womb of the dawn, anointed with the dew of your youth. Yahweh has taken a solemn oath and will never back away from it, saying, You Again, speaking about Jesus, you are a priest for eternity after the manner of Melchizedek. The Lord stands in full authority to shatter to pieces the kings who stand against you on the day he displays his terrible wrath. He will judge every rebellious nation, filling their battlefields with corpses, and will shatter the strongholds of ruling powers. Yet he himself, speaking again of Jesus, will drink from his inheritance. 
as from a flowing brook, refreshed by love, he will stand victorious. All right, I have a quick list of um, just a moment here. This is a quick list of the points that are the context so that we have understanding, so that we can care about what he cares about. The father said to Jesus, rule with me from heaven while I make your enemy bow before you and become your footstool. All right, so here's the context for your life right now. Here's the context for what's going on in the world right now. The reality is the father is making Jesus the son's enemies his footstool. That is what's playing out right now. That is the life that you are living in. That is the the context for your story. The next context is it is God that will establish the kingdom. Not us. We get to partner with him in advancing the kingdom. We get to align our hearts with his heart that asks God, um, as Jesus told us to pray, um, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for it. We agree with it. We declare it. We partner with him in it. But the weight of pulling it off cannot and is not on us, cannot be on us and is not on us. We can't pull it off. It is him. It is by his own hand that he will establish his kingdom. And as he does, we come alongside and we partner with him. So what does that mean for us? The context of our own lives, we see it as a partnership, but the weight of responsibility is not on us. This is not about us performing. This is not about us panicking because uh, we feel like we're behind on his kingdom coming or evil so evil that, you know, I, I don't care what we see play out in our lifetime, we know where this is headed. God himself is establishing his kingdom. Another um, bit of context that we get from Psalm 110 is that um, he will rule in the midst of his enemies. Jesus is ruling in the midst of his enemies. Okay, As he is, so are we in this world. We are learning how to rule in the midst of his enemies. That reminds me of, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't want to eat with evil watching me. You know, I, I, when I think of feasting and enjoying my meal, I want it to be like somewhere safe and private. But he's saying, I'm going to so teach you who you are. I'm going to put on display your confidence and your, your, your ability to celebrate before you see victory in front of your enemies. And it also makes me think of, you know, the wheat and the tares. Parables um, that Jesus told us made it very clear that the wheat and the tares grow together. So it's complicated. It's messy. We've got 
you know, people around us that we don't know if they're good or bad or if they're loving Jesus or not. And it might even get more complicated in some ways as as revival and reformation really sweep the globe and people there's more of a, a surge in in righteousness where they just want to be good and do good and do the right thing. And as I said earlier, there, there's a desire maybe for the kingdom before they even know to desire the king. And so are they a wheat? Are they a tear? Does it really matter? Because it is him in the end that separates the wheat from the tares. It's not us. We're not the ones judging. We're not the ones making the decisions of who ends up where. We have the opportunity to love people right where they are because in his eyes, on this side of eternity, we're all his sons and daughters. It's just some of us don't yet know that we are, right? Or some may never choose to be his sons and daughters, but but he created all people to know him. Like he didn't create someone with the idea that they would reject him. So we get to love people right where they are, the wheat and the tares all together. Um, another context here is followers of Jesus will willingly volunteer. That's another um, translation here. It says your people will be your love offerings. But another translation is it says they will willingly volunteer for battle. So um, this, is, this is an invitation to us. We get to volunteer. You can sideline if you want to. You can, um, maybe not all the time, but sometimes you have the luxury, if you choose it, to compartmentalize your life and to just, you know, make it all about you for good or bad and not care about others and not care about partnering with him and bringing his kingdom to earth. But he's giving us a clue here that God's people, when we really get it, we will willingly volunteer for battle. Mm, that's a hard one for me. Like, really? I'll show up when I have to, but to volunteer? Like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I find myself thinking that a lot, but He's changing our hearts and he's helping us to willingly volunteer for battle. Um, another context, Jesus will shine in the brightness of his holy ones. Again, he says we are the light of the world. So Jesus shines through us. Um, that means that you don't get to hide. He's put his light in you. And when you see darkness... It's not so that you can judge it or run from it. It's so that you can be the light that dispels it. And light brings, um, it causes things that don't like light to scatter. And it pushes back darkness. Um, that is context for your life. So where do we go? We go where there is a need for light. Uh, another context for our lives is Jesus will judge every rebellious nation and shatter the strongholds of ruling powers. Now that word strongholds is the same one from a familiar scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in the spirit 
for pulling down strongholds, arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what we've been talking about, the knowledge of God. So anything that would cause us to believe different about who God is, who he really is, those are strongholds. Those are arguments. Those are lies. And so the weapons of our warfare that he has given us um, are to pull those down. So again, in Psalm 110, it says, Jesus will judge every rebellious nation and shatter the strongholds of ruling powers. I am so excited about that, that he would through shining through the light of his sons and daughters, he will pull down strongholds, everything that exalts itself against the truth, the knowledge of how good he is. All right, the last one of context from Psalm 110 is Jesus will drink from his inheritance. And Psalm 2.8 tells us um, that the father said to Jesus, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So Jesus's inheritance is the nations. And I, I am sure that Jesus asked him for it. Um, and so we know in the end, this is about Jesus receiving his inheritance of the nations. So we're called because Jesus got all of authority back that was lost. And he said, go therefore and disciple nations. So we are a part of, of giving him his inheritance. All right. So the third way to um, help your heart continue to care or even just begin to care about others. Going back to Matthew 25, when you cared, when you cared for the least of these, you cared for me. So how do we keep that care stirred in our hearts? Number three, know your season and the overall season so you can feel normal and align your heart. All right, next week, I'm going to be talking about, um, I'm going to be giving you my take on the new year, Rosh Hashanah. So uh, towards the end of this month is the Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah, where every year they, um, it's the start of the new Hebrew calendar. And it's the time where they take inventory on the last year and begin to look forward in the new year. And I know a lot of the prophetic voices give us their um, prophetic words for the new year for Rosh Hashanah. Um, I would strongly encourage you to get your own. Don't just sit around waiting on, you know, somebody else to give you that prophetic word. Allow the Holy Spirit to go ahead and speak to your heart. What is it that he has for you and for us collectively towards the new year? And what did he, what did he do over this last year? You know, when we, when we take inventory, it, it, we own it more. And we carry it forward with us into the new year, the things that he's done in us and through us. And so next week, I'm going to go further into this and I'm going to unpack for you um, my perspective on what the Lord is showing me from this last year and going into the new year. And um, so, so get into that yourself too, so that when you hear other people like Johnny or other prophetic voices give you their word for Rosh Hashanah, that it, it resonates and it confirms things that the Lord is already speaking to your heart. It'll mean way more to you if it's that and not just coming out of left field. 
Um, I can tell you that from experience. So I decided I'm going to get ahead of Johnny Inlow and hear from the Lord for myself for the new year. And then I can't wait to hear what the Lord gives him, for example, um, to confirm the things that he's showing me. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. But I will go ahead and give you a hint. If, um, if you look at Psalm 82, I believe that was a psalm for us for this last year. Um, psalm 82 coordinates with the Hebrew calendar 5782. That's the year that we've been in, and we're about to head into the Hebrew year 5783. So um, several years back, the Lord spoke to me specifically about this decade um, and the previous decade and the decade to come. And he showed me how it was in the Psalms. So um, for me, I'm going to be delving into Psalm 83 for part of my Rosh Hashanah word. But Psalm 82, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you just for time's sake right now, but I will tell you that um, it is in this translation, this whole chapter is called true justice. And so how do you keep that, that care stirred in your own heart? It has to do with understanding that the season that you're in right now, I can almost guarantee you, has collided with the season that we're collectively in in the earth. And I think this is a very rare occurrence. It's kind of like the, li the alignment of... Um, of certain planets that only happen once in a lifetime. I believe there is an alignment right now of many of our personal stories with the bigger story that um, is the same. And I believe it is a season of birthing. Uh, I would call that a spring season because you think of like in the spring, especially like on a farm, that's when ant baby animals are born. And, um, and it's after, you know, a long, cold winter you're coming out of um, a, a hidden dark place into something fresh and new and specifically birthing justice, in my opinion, has to do with, um, you know, redemption. It is, it's things coming back into right standing with God. And there are things that each one of us have personally lived through, just our own version of trauma and tragedy and all kinds of difficult circumstances in our lives that that need redemption. It's like the, the story's not over till it's good. Well, we're still waiting on the good part. I believe that we are in the process right now of not only birthing um part of the redemptive narrative for our own lives, but we are a part of birthing the redemptive narrative for, um, for, for nations. And I don't believe it's just the United States. We might lead the way in it. Um, I, I believe that we will lead the way in it, but I believe the nations will just come to, like dominoes behind it. Um, and so what we're contending for and the freedom that we're contending for here in this nation, I believe, is for many, many nations. And so let that encourage you. Like, if things are really hard right now, you're birthing something really huge, really important. And birthing is the most natural thing in the world. When a woman is in labor, there's nothing she can do to stop it nor prevent it. I mean, nor like um, 
She can't stop it, but she can't make it happen. Like it's happening with or without her consent, right? And so you learn in labor to, to go with the, the process that God created your body to accomplish in birthing a baby. I believe it's the same. We, we just need to ride these waves of, you know, there are all kinds of waves. It's painful. It's, there's a sense of lack of control. There is, um, you know, we're, we're very dependent right now on, we're not even sure who we're dependent on right now, other than God, like surely God has key people and key places that are doing really important roles as part of this birthing, this rescue process. But the reality is we just have to, we just have to yield to it. We have to surrender to this birthing process and, and participate. Um, so the fourth way that we can engage our hearts so that we, um, care when you cared for the least of these, that we're actually caring for him. Fourth way is to pace ourselves, pace ourselves. Now, People use this example all the time, but it's just such a good example. When you're on an airplane and you get the same speech every time and they say, in the case of an emergency where you lose cabin pressure, you're going to have this um, mask drop down out of the ceiling and make sure that you put yours on first before you help someone else. And I just felt the Lord encourage me to encourage you to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. The so that is really important because if it's just take care of yourself, like I started off in the beginning of this, we could be there all day long, just taking care of ourselves for the rest of our lives. No, take care of yourself so that you can take care of others, so that you can care for others. It's very difficult to care for someone else when you are truly just trying to survive, either because you have emotional problems, mental problems, spiritual issues, physical issues, financial issues, keeping all of your ducks in a row in all of these areas is hard. And it's really important to find a pace that works for you. If the enemy can't keep you from moving forward with something you're supposed to move forward with, then he will get behind you and push and he will try to get you out of sync and out of pace with, with how God created you to function best. And, you know, I've watched my own parents learn a pace that works for them um, so that they are paced for the long haul. Like there are certain things that they, they take time to do for themselves physically, spiritually, for their relationship, for their finances that, that have taken a lot of intention. And, you know, they could have burned themselves out on doing, doing, doing a lot of really great stuff and never positioned themselves for the long haul. And they might not still be here, right? You know, so they have always, um, I believe they wouldn't say this, but I believe at the right times they have they have adjusted their pace 
to what it needed to be adjusted to, to position themselves for the long haul. And we're here for the long haul. We need you here for the long haul. If you're gonna have, have time and energy to care for the least of these, you're gonna have to also care for yourself and be consistent and be diligent and don't waste your time on things that don't matter. Like don't get stuck in phone land and TV land and hobby land, you know, all the things that just are ways of comforting ourselves. There's time and place for each of those things, but anything that has just sucked you into it and then just hours and days and weeks go by and you've not properly cared for yourself, you will not be able to properly care for others. You won't have the energy to even notice that someone else is hurting because you're either so numb from all of that or you're behind, by the time you kind of come to your senses, you're behind on the things that that you should have been doing along the way. You know, I mean, what... I, I believe that you should be constantly, um, consistently would be a better word, consistently inquiring of the Holy Spirit in each area of your life. What should I be doing different now in this area? In my time with you, in my care for my physical body, in what and how I eat, in um, you know what I'm going to do health-wise and which direction am I going? You know, usually, Johnny and I want to do a whole program on this sometime on Up for Discussion, but we have in our family dealt with chronic illness, not Johnny, but the rest of us, my entire um, adult life with myself and with different ones of my kids at different times. Chronic illness, like debilitating and yet, God has given us, by His grace, wisdom to walk through those things in a way that still allowed us to focus on things other than ourselves. And it can be done. And, and the lie is that, well, I can't because of this. There, I just live with the assumption that God has a plan and a better way of doing everything, of, of getting me through every single challenge. The, the, only, the only aspect of it is discovering what it is. And it's a discovery process and it's constant. Holy Spirit, what do, you, what do I do about this? Do I go to this doctor or this doctor? Do I not go at all? Do I eat this or not eat this? Do I work out or not work out? What kind of workout do I... Um, spend more time in the word? Do I do communion every day? Like what, what is your plan? What is your strategy for this and this and this? So I just, I use the, the physical challenge as an example for you, but you know, for some of you, it might just be something more like finances or it might be, you know, I never got married. And so I just feel like I've always been on hold because I, I've never found my spouse, my teammate, you know, so how can I move forward? There's a strategy for absolutely every aspect and season of your life. And God wants you to pace yourself for the long haul and to be fruitful 
and to have a capacity to care every single day, to have the capacity to care. Because you know what? We learned in Matthew 25 that when we care for the least of these, we're actually caring for him. So we have the opportunity every single day to minister to the heart of our God by caring for others. And care looks different for each one of us. It doesn't literally mean these only these things that he lists in Matthew 25. It can mean the way that you run your business. It can mean the way that you, um, you know, serve your family. It can... It can mean so many different things. It's limitless. I believe that. So, all right. I've gone on and on and so appreciate you being a part of Choose Love and all of the feedback I get from you guys in the mail and in comments and um, and just, just really appreciate you. So I want to end by praying for you. Father, I, um, I just love who you are in the least of these. And I love the the journey that you have each one of us on where you have set us up to learn how to care about what you care about. Thank you for um, awakening in our hearts, those of us that have had that, that squelched in us where we've just not had we've not felt like we had the capacity to care for others or we felt maybe cynical or or disconnected, or just like no no more energy to care more than we already do. We give you permission right now to just expand the borders of our heart to truly care for the least of these, to, to find the most creative, radical ways to answer the question, that core question that's in the hearts of those around us, do I really matter? Do I really matter? Even those that they may not be lonely in prison, they may not be sick, they may be super popular with lots of people always around them, but in their heart of hearts, they feel so alone. They feel like they're not seen and known by the one who created them. God, would you use us throughout the most mundane of days through all of our interactions with those around us, would you use us to express your love and your care and your answer? Yes, I love you. I see you. I know you. Make us bold so that we never hesitate to answer that core question when we look into their eyes and we see what maybe they can't even get in touch with in their own thinking but we dare to speak the truth into the places where they have believed lies about you and about your true heart for them. We love you, Father. We choose to see you through eyes, through the filter of one who who loves us, who accepts us, who enjoys us. We choose you. We choose love. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.